Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Uh, Doing good, Shad. I'm doing good. I am glad to hear it, and I want to say thank you to everybody out there who has joined us for this episode. We'll take care of our shout-outs right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code for Corners Podcast. That's C number four, capital C Corners, capital P in podcast to save 10% off your order. The next shout out is going to be if you would like to help the folks in eastern Kentucky that are being affected not only by the big flood you heard about on the news, but then the follow up flood that came along that nobody covered and was undoing a bunch of the work they've been doing, I'm going to recommend that you go through one of a few places. The first one would be Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot org, or you can find them on social media. They're a great organization, and they will be able to point you to people who are doing good work. The other option, if you would like to do things like contribute to flood relief campaigns, I'm going to say primarily... Go to Appalachian Apparel. They ran a campaign where normally um, when this particular person, he ran um, funding campaigns, he said they normally came out to, oh, about $5,000 or so that he was able to distribute for whatever the cause was. Uh, This round went for $150,000, and in order to make sure that it was being handled properly – He set up an LLC. He had a board of directors, and what he has been doing is distributing the money directly to the people in need. We know for a fact that he's doing the right thing because people see him doing the right thing, and he is filing all the paperwork out in the open. So Appalachian Apparel, those taken care of means that I'm going to hand the ball to Matt. Uh, yeah, that would be a shout out to Orlando Cologne. Um, Orlando Cologne has not been suspended, as far as I know. Um, he's waiting to get a nice, uh, nice contract with a, another big American promotion. And guys, you know, we're recording this on September 13th. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, my understanding is, I think it's this week. The new PWI ratings rankings are going to come out. So, oh, it's going to be interesting to see where Orlando comes out on those. And I guess also Mark Grisham. <laughs> See if he's uh, moved down a few spots or what. Yeah, he better get that argument in while he can. Man, yeah, that's just such a – oh, gosh. On one hand, it's like a gift that keeps on giving. And then on the other hand, 
part of me feels bad for the guy because it, it seems like that's the only thing he had to go to. But anyway, I mean, it's I, I mean, a, it's I, an odd argument. I, yeah. I, I'm going to give I'm going to give Jonathan Gresham and I'm going to call him by his proper name. I'm going to give him a slight defense. Okay. It has to suck to be super into wrestling and to put all of that work in, like take good care of yourself, get what sort of physique you can do, kind of, you know, learn how to wrestle really well, and just to know deep down that you are always going to have like a very low ceiling because of your height. Now, he could do more to have a personality and like work around that as best he can, but it does have to suck to just like ha- have that one thing that was out of your control, like fuck you forever. And the one thing you're passionate about getting Vince kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do kind of feel bad for him because it's like, he's, he's a good worker. Like he actually is. And he'd be fine, but he's not like your world champion material. And I don't think he ever like, I, I don't think he understood that. And I think mm. I think he has a problem with some arrogance and not taking constructive criticism from people. He gets real defensive, and I, I understand. I kind of understand why I think he gets defensive, but like I think if he if he took more feedback from fans and other wrestlers about, hey, dude, you need like a gimmick, I think he'd be doing a little better. Yeah, yeah. All right. So oddly enough, tonight we are not doing a wrestling podcast. We are doing something. We have been. Perhaps hyping is not the right word, but something we've been anticipating doing for a while. Almost as we long are, as the podcast, I think. Not quite, but we've been talking about doing it for a long, long yeah. time. This is going to be our review and ref, or reading and reflections, because calling it a review seems kind of... Uh, of the 1996 trade paperback or... Storyline series or whatever term we want to use. issue miniseries, Elseworlds. Of Kingdom Come. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I want to put out there from the beginning. First of all, I love this. I've had a copy of it for like 20 years at this point. And I take very good care of it, but I've read it over and over. One thing to bear in mind is you might come to this for the art but you stay for the story don't let anyone who ever tell you that oh kingdom comes only about the art because those are bitter people who are just mad that it's so good and there's something about it that they don't like yeah now i would call it for me it is like that second tier of like classic comic story like it's not watchmen or dark knight returns to me but it's in like that next tier of like the like the really well-known stuff, but not like maybe the genre-defining stuff of other things. Like, but I mean, it, that's like saying it's it's an all-time classic, but not like the elite of classics. Uh, it came out, I believe, in '96. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we if we spot it like a, another year, like we'll just say we'll just assume uh, it, this is probably one of the better or the one of the best comics from the last like. 25 years yeah i would say i i chat i also own a copy of this mm-hmm. but it is like buried buried storage like in my okay. shed in my backyard so i was like ah oh, screw it i'll just gotta rebuy this so i i rebought like the paperback uh trade paperback from from like amazon mm-hmm. and it's that i don't remember my comic 
version having like this. I mean, they had a lot of stuff, so it's not. I don't think it's like a lot of new stuff, but just it's very, it's nicely bond uh, binded. Sorry, and it's yep. great artwork. There's a lot of a uh, there's a lot of apocrypha as they call it, like artwork stuff like that. It's just it's beautiful. It's quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just generally speaking, we'll we'll dive into it. But generally speaking, like I do think it's great. Um, reading it again years later because it's been a long time since I've read it, like maybe 15 years or so, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. I both had like a different opinion of it now, but I also felt like the ending was a little more moving to me than it was back in the day. So okay, Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. There's, there's some parts of it that made me sad reading it and some of the pieces that lost its punch. And there were some mm-hmm. parts of it that I thought were very... Um, prophetic about where the comic industry was going that's fair because, in an extraordinarily bad way yeah because yeah, there's yeah there there because i think i i think i read like the first issue and i think i i texted matt and and chad and i was like god damn it like dan didio thought this was like a roadmap for the dcu and it was not meant to be that right no uh again we can dive into it but it's basically it's like if someone in theory, if someone wrote something that was effectively parodying or criticizing, like is, a specific genre style of things, this is kind of like a commentary. Then, to me, this this feels like a very much a Mark Wade and Alex Ross got together and they were writing a commentary on Watchmen and Dark Knight. Returns. They were writing a commentary on '90s comics. Yeah, and trends that were yeah. And they even have that. Some of that is even in the apocrypha, where they're like mm-hmm. some of the character designs of some of the more the neo uh, superheroes, the neo metahumans. Mm-hmm. Like they in the flat in the notes say like, oh yeah, this is like what we what, all the things that we hated about comics or what comics were becoming. They even flat out say that. Mm-hmm. And someone like Dan Didio basically saw this. It's like, oh man, yeah, we need to make everything grim, dark, and it's yeah. like no. Like you missed everything of what they were yeah, trying to you say. Have missed to do. Point. Now, Brad, I will actually counter what you were saying earlier because for me, this is a top tier story because Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and stuff like that are actually so grim for me that I don't enjoy them. I actively dislike um, just how how. Uh, grim those are whereas kingdom come has arcs and waves to it about you know things get dark things get better um hope hope recedes hope swells that sort of stuff and you have the background of a bunch of characters that play into it that kind of give you a little bit of shorthand for them as well and that sort of stuff for me, this is top tier stuff. Um, I, I think, for, but that's personal taste. I think for me, why it goes down to that secondary one is because, um, in a lot of ways, and it, they lose a lot of their punch now because of they've been bastardized and flanderized so bad. But like, I don't think someone reading Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns now understands how much they were pushing and breaking on the genre at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this is, this does not push on the genre, but it offers like a very 
oftentimes subtle and very insightful commentary on the comic industry at the time and honestly today it's very it's yeah. actually a very much more insightful commentary on what the industry is today um but this would go for me this is like around what um like craven's last hunt is um long halloween uh the j some of the like the better arcs of jsa uh-huh like so it's not it's not like it's it's not like i'm saying it's bad it's like it's like in that a tier instead of that a plus tier well i understand where you're coming from and i know i have different tastes on it i just i wanted to be clear about it from the uh from the get-go so do we want to do we do we have let's let's because it'll be the much shorter section so do we have any critiques of this like as a work the things we didn't care for well one thing that is difficult with this is also kind of fun but if you don't have the resource to hunt for everything this book since alex ross hand painted every panel and alex ross is incredibly good but also incredibly detail-oriented has a lot of gags in it that if you are not very well acquainted with DC lore, will get past you. Um, there are appearances by Marvin from the Super Friends, the Fat Albert gang. Um, the Creeper shows up in it, but it's an older Creeper, so he looks like Alice Cooper. Um, there's all kinds of little things like that that if you're not paying attention can get past you and for me those things it, it's a little bit of joy coming across those things that i it's not just that i've seen it before because i don't want it to be like a an example of darmok at tanagra kind of stuff you know ref, speaking almost entirely through references but to to catch the little pieces of those things in there that Alex Ross put in the back as fun little Easter eggs and that sort of stuff. If you don't have the reference for it or if you don't pay enough attention, you'll miss it. And some of those get kind of easy to miss, especially if, if you either didn't grow up in it or if you're not steeped in the lore. Yeah, there's a couple of so I, I have a couple and none of them are like super duper bad. It's just my preferences with it. So I kind of wish there was like a six issue director's cut of this because there's some things I would have liked to see fleshed out a little more. Hmm. Maybe like some background thrown in. But just some things I would like to to see more of. I thought um I didn't like the Lex Luthor art very much in this. He was a little wonky. He um oh gosh. Yeah. I keep trying to remember what this um, depiction of Lex Luthor reminds me of. He's kind of kingpinny, honestly. He's kind of a like little a kingpinny. But but there's a there's an actor is. I can't put my finger on. Uh, I don't know. A modern actor or Marlon Brando one that maybe. Maybe he's got a little. Maybe it maybe it is a little reminiscent of uh, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. I mean, kind of like. Uh, maybe a little Telly Savalas, but not Telly Savalas wasn't as like that. Is that right? I I do like because his his it's very like photorealistic the art style. 
Um, and sometimes characters can can mimic or be kind of reminiscent of actual real life people. Like, mm-hmm. did who did y'all think that his artwork of, of uh, Bruce Wayne was? To me, it seemed I was like, who does he look like? And then like, it, he seems like almost like to me, he looked like Powers Booth. But I'm, I could see hmm. like an yeah, other I could see that. Like, I don't. Let me see. It, it's there are several like that that I have not been able to put my finger on. Because Billy Batson was very reminiscent of of something. Ah, uh, God. He, I mean, he looked. First of all, Billy Batson looks very, very much on with the CC Beck uh, original look. Yeah. And um, I'm trying. Uh, you know what? I've pulled the. Uh, I have pulled the. TV tropes for it to try and find it, and I'm not finding it. He does remind you of, of someone, but it's for me, it just looks so much more like a fully realized version of that original Captain Marvel that it, it's hard for me to put anything else in there. Yeah. Um, and then. So this is this is slight writing criticisms that they're not big deals, but they're just slight things that tweaked me a little bit. I thought Wonder Woman was a little all over the place and a little. I don't know, like some of her stuff felt like it was coming out of nowhere. And then you kind of just accept it's like, well, she's just being like fucking crazy. But it it, um, it bothered me at points because it felt like it was coming out of left field and um the him insisting on people calling him Cal was kind of it made sense like when they got deeper into the story, but um it was a little weird I at think first. That, but I get why they were doing think, it, but like it didn't it didn't like click with me right away until a little later. Yeah, I thought that the last issue when you had things wrapping up and you had basically like call outs uh, I thought a lot. I thought both of those characterizations made a ton more sense. Yeah. Uh, and they're kind of like they're almost said like in an explicit way, like why. And then it's like, oh wow, okay, that's what they were doing with this. Mm-hmm. And I actually really appreciated that. This is not a criticism. I don't know that I have criticisms of the book. Um, I just remember like when I read it, I was much younger. Like I was like probably when I first read it, I was like a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me. Not having, I didn't have like all the backstory that I do now. Like you know, twenty five years later. You have the cynicism of age uh, too. Yes, uh, and I also, um, I didn't have like all the all of the history, and I also was probably like not viewing it the way I should have. Uh, seeing it as like a criticism of things that were happening in comics, or where I guess in theory, like where they thought comics could go, but again, Dan Didio like took the opposite like opposite idea for that but yeah point is like when i first read it i'm like oh the story is basically like uh there's these guys that are super villains and like uh the superhero like the, the justice league and etc like have to basically come out of retirement and the young people they have to come and stop them it's like that's not actually what's going on at all it's just no. it's a story of like su- uh metahumans and superhumanity just running rampant like this would in this this is exactly like the sort of thing that some iterations of Lex Luthor and others have like 
complain about. It's like you need to basically find a way to neutralize the superhumans or else they're going to become the dominant effectively the dominant life form here on the planet yeah and they're going to become effectively gods and we're all going to be subject to their whims and that's kind of what's going on here like you have you have superhumans engaging in fights with each other like right out there in public and they they have absolutely some of them have absolutely zero like control of themselves or even care for civilians or what happens there it's it's very it's very dark in a lot of ways and yeah. I thought that like oh they're they're super, they're just super villains like no like most of the characters in this are presented as just like completely out of control but not out like outright villainous some are like Lex Luthor and his group but they were they've always been presented as villains to the extent that you have any characters that are like like outright villainous it's like uh, six six the one six character was a, yeah which. Von Bach, yeah. Von Bach is kind of like the most villainous, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, 666 is obviously villainous, but even then, it's like he survives. They have him survive at the end with the idea like, oh, he can try to be reformed. And they kind of presented, at least what how I thought early when I was younger, was that, oh, Magog. Magog is going to be like the big bad. And it's like, no, Magog is actually, in many ways, Magog is almost not even in this like he's barely in it he's gone by he's issue like rel- two essentially yeah he's relevant for like the first issue to kind of show you like uh this is kind of like how things have devolved and then they have they start basically a redemption arc with him yes magog is um i feel like jeff johns kind of got him wrong in that justice society of america uh, of america y- yeah it was a different origin for the character um, and so it was in doing that, he's trying to make a less revolting version of the character, uh, and do something a little different than what we've seen before. But the thing that I like about Magog in this book is he starts out and like Matt said, he's coming across as the big bad. He has this drop off, and then in the background of the rest of the story, he has this redemption arc happening that you see in these little glimpses, which I really actually like quite a bit. It well, makes me like the character because he can grow and change and repent. It's 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 an interesting twist because they set him up, and like you said, he's like you think he's going to be the big bad, and then he shows up, and then you realize like oh shit, he's just some guy that made some choices. And got in way over his head and, like, paid the price for it horribly, and it just, like, haunts him. He's it's, like a victim of his own choices. Yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. I, I thought that that entire sequence, issue two, mm-hmm. was absolutely fantastic. It's great writing, great artwork. But basically, it's just the backstory is that the Joker takes out several people in Metropolis, and one of them being Lois Lane. Yeah. 92 and, men and one woman Yeah, in, and it the, makes, in the Daily Planet. It absolutely drives uh, Superman like insane, but he has that, that strong, like, thou shalt not kill ethos, so he wouldn't do it. And so Magog, Magog did it. Magog killed Joker. And after that, like, Superman just shut down. Like he basically quit. He basically quit being a superhero. Well, he tried well, to. He, he tried to. He tried to help prosecute Magog, and the yes. public wasn't really having any of it because they were kind of in yeah. the heat of the moment. 
and that yeah. kind of spiraled it all into that. Yes. So, super, yeah, like you said, Superman. There, everyone's looking for Joker. Magog or uh, Joker's in police custody, and Magog just walks up and blows a hole in his chest. Yeah. And we and get the- this whole thing. Like you said, Matt. There's this wonderful. It's almost an exposition, but it's it doesn't feel like an exposition in issue two. Mm-hmm. And his remorse makes me like him more. But that that whole sequence that you're talking about with Superman's got his strong moral core and everyone's kind of turning it. That section is one of it. That section is something that demonstrates to me the importance of the heroes having that strong moral core. It's got kind of the shades of the who watches the Watchmen things like, yeah, Superman never needed it because Superman didn't deviate from his moral code and yeah. stuck with it to the point of trying to bring Magog to justice for murder. It's it's kind of like yeah. um, I know I know to, you didn't like Watchmen, but it, it's very much like that. How in the end Rorschach was the only hero in that group because he stuck to his morals, even though it cost him. His life, yeah. His life. Uh, uh, just a little more backstory on the, the sequence we're talking about. Um, there was a hor- like a horrible tragedy uh, with Mag- Magog and his gang. Like they, they chase Parasite. Parasite kills Captain yeah. Adam, but in a way that it basically causes an extreme like nuclear reaction. And blows and up all compl- of Kansas. Yeah. It blows up kansas and it's implied or or it outright says i forget which it it's says like that huge huge sections of the midwest are just like both like completely wiped off the planet basically and or irradiated and so yes they they're they're hunting for magog because of this and in reality like he's never he left he never left the area and then finally he's confronted by superman and there's the whole like it's again it's not really exposition but Magog was talking. He raised. He relays the whole po- point of like Superman abandoning things, and he has a whole little dialogue where he's like, like when he said that Superman quit and took off. He's like, I always thought you were afraid of me, and then he goes like, that wasn't it. You're afraid that I was the man of tomorrow. You're afraid of the future I represented, mm-hmm. and Superman like looks at him like scoffing. He's like, you must be proud, and he's like proud, and then he like blasts Superman with his weapon. Which doesn't kill or hurt Superman, but like he, he, Magog has basically a blue screen of death moment. Yeah. Like he just has a complete breakdown where he's like, the world changed, but you wouldn't. So people chose me. And he just has a breakdown. He's like, they chose the man who would kill over the man who wouldn't. And now they're dead. Like a million ghosts punish me. Like you can kill me, you can lock me away, just make the ghosts go away. And it's like, that's really, really powerful. Yeah, he has when when he his justice battalion hunts down the parasite. One thing to note is aside from Alloy and Magog, the rest of that group that went after the parasite were the heroes that were supposed to be the central characters of Watchmen. Because mm. they had to, they had since they couldn't get the rights to those characters, they had to make similar ones. So question is there, and uh, Doctor Manhattan was supposed to be Captain Adam and that sort of stuff. And to see Magog go from this place of just bitter anger to the survivor's guilt, 
and the remorse and the guilt of everything that he has caused just come flooding out of him. He has this burst of impotent anger when Superman calls out to his face. He's like, this is, you know, this is your choice to to be the man of this tomorrow. This was your choice. You must be proud of what you've done. And Magog has this burst of impotent anger. And when all of that anger and hate is gone, the only thing that is left in him is that guilt and remorse. And he just collapses in on himself. And like you said, Matt, it's very powerful. But whenever I first read it, it was absolutely not what I expected to happen. You know, I, I expected, you know, Magog was going to be broken out of it, but I didn't expect mm-hmm. that little background arc we got through the rest of the series. And I love that we got that background arc. Now, even the Batman group kind of su- is a surprise, too, because Bruce really worked everyone in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's funny to me that um, Mr. Terrific doesn't show up in this book, but Mr. Terrific was referred to as the third, third smartest man in the DC universe after Luther and Batman. And as it turns out, Luther is not – either Luther is not as smart as he thinks he is or Luther's hubris is so fully in control and his plan with Billy Batson has blinded him to the potential failure. I'm sorry, uh, has blinded him to the, the blinds, you know, the, the weak points of his plan that Batman just runs all over him. I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like Luther's kind of running into has been territory in this story. Like it's clear even before that happens that he's not like necessarily on his a game. Mm-hmm. I feel like, but, um, that's just my opinion on, on Luther to that point. Right. Right. It's, it's, um, hard to, it's kind of hard to parse out what would be causing that, but he, he's, he's not approaching things in the way that we're used to with Luther. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so, so, like, to go into some things that I've observed through this. So, um, this is like a commentary, and everyone's supposed to be purposely grim drack. And I'm like, huh, this Bruce and Batman's kind of cuddly compared to what we've had for the last 20 years out of Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that to us, and I responded, like, last night. It's like, this, this is not, I wouldn't even call it, it's like a grim dark version of Batman. He's just like, He's kind of just like a gruff old man. He's kind he's of, like, um, he's very compatible with the Bruce from Batman Beyond. Yes, that's exactly right. He's more, um, like sarcastic and cynical, but not, not in a way that's like, he's just, he's just flat on an asshole. Like he's, he's just cynical because he's seen everything and he's, he's dealt some, some really bad stuff in his life. Like we, one thing that's mentioned is like, uh, Bane, I think Bane and Two Face like wrecked uh, the mansion. Wrecked the mansion. His identity yeah. has, yeah, his identity has been exposed. So there's some stuff he's gone through. Um, I think, but um, he's not—he's nowhere near as grim dark as he has been in the last like 20 years of the comics. 
No, because like at the end when they're in the restaurant, like he actually has like he actually cracks sort of a couple of funnies and like they use him in a way that's really lighter than what I think he gets now. Like he doesn't have the perpetual stick up his ass that he does now. Uh, one thing, the one gag that I'm sure you probably are referencing that I loved is that there's a waiter or waitress, I can't identify which, but what, they show up in a Robin costume. And it's a Robin costume from, like, the 1960s Batman yeah. TV show. Yeah. And the, the individual goes, hi, I'm Robin. And Bruce just goes, of course you are. That <laughs> right there. Like, if that's a that's a flat, that's a laugh out loud funny joke. I, that was one of my dad's favorite lines in this whole book. Because when he read it, he laughed, and then I asked him what he thought, and that was the first thing he said. He said, I love the part where it comes, hi, I'm Robin. And he goes, sure you are. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah, he, he loosens up a little. I also like when they were leaving, he's like, it's like so what are you going to call him? Like, Bruce is a good name. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I also, yeah, go sorry ahead. To cut, sorry to cut you off, Chad. I'm sorry. Like, I love the, also the quip line uh, when we find out that, that – uh, Superman and Wonder Woman are having a child together. It's like, uh, congrats on bringing another spectral demigod into the world. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, that's a good one, too. He has there's, some really good lines in the last segment. Yeah, well, even before that, it's towards the end of it, but <clears throat> he's saying something to Superman, and then Superman just takes off, and he turns and looks over his shoulder, and he's gone, and he turns back to where he's working and goes, huh, that's what that feels like. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's also another That's good great. one. There's also another good one at the end when he's working in the hospital and Luther's there and he just leans over to me and goes Shazam like real Shazam. quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and another one from there is like when when they're waiting on him on Batman to show up for the the other bunch together, and he does. He just appears, mm-hmm. and Batman's like like how do you sneak up on me? Me? Yeah, Superman. Like, Superman. <laughs> a guy who they've already established like can hear. Yeah, they already yeah. they established earlier in the in the series that like Superman, his hearing is so great that if he wants to, he can hear like cells divide. Yeah. So he's like, how how do you sneak up on me? <laughs> there's so much good stuff in that last well, they, segment, but there, there's also it's a very small thing that someone might forget, but they talked about when Luther's like league of, like new uh, human liberation front I think it was it was called mankind yeah um, which I kept yeah. reading that because of stupid AEW of his MJF when that's not what it was <laughs> but um, they talk about Superman and they mentioned that he's now at this point soaked up so much solar radiation from the earth that he's actually more invulnerable like kryptonite doesn't even work on him anymore so his mm-hmm. powers are yes. actually stronger in this than they were before this is the most yeah, he's... powerful superman i think that we really get um with the exception yeah. of the weird like overpowered because post eradicator thing but we'll ignore that oh and he was like getting all big and weird because like a parasite not because of parasite parasite oh parasite like, fixed siphoned up. yeah siphoned energy off of him but by the way matt the other thing i love about you, your line where he says how'd you sneak up on superman goes how, me how'd you sneak up on me bruce looks around and goes we could be fighting the legion of doom in full costume in this toddy bric-a-brac and i don't believe anyone would notice <laughs> yes it's it's there is so much in this book 
that I enjoy. And I did find, to call back to something Brad said earlier, Mark Wade regretted how he wrote Wonder Woman in this because it's affected her characterization after it. I always took her kind of – it's not swinging moods, but the fact that she's holding these um, cognitive dissonance viewpoints repeatedly in what happened to her with Themyscira. So yes. here she is trying to take what her original mission was supposed to be and what she was brought up as and hold both these points at the same time, but not even recognizing until Bruce points it out to her that really these are incompatible points that she keeps trying to mash together. It, it's a good commentary, and what I hate about what like a lot of modern people try and say about Thamascara, where they're like, no, Thamascara is like an inclusive, progressive culture, and it's like, no, it's fucking not. Like it is a, it is essentially like a hate cult. It is an incredibly they... insular culture that does not want outsiders. Yep. Yes, and it's also incredibly warlike and violent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that was the thing that that I love when Bruce basically had his moment where he calls out Diana. It's like the very end where they're fighting because he kind of criticized her and she just goes off and goes like snaps and starts fighting him. And that's when they discover that, you know, humanity has launched three nuclear uh, planes with war tip warheads that they yep. established. Like even one of them could wipe out all the superheroes there. Yeah. Uh, and they said three. So it's like, even if the other two, you know, were disabled as they were, that there's nothing that could be done to even if, if it launches and detonates like there everyone's done. That's it. Yeah. Um. And he calls her out and he's like, "Look, Batman calls her out and he's like, look, our war is one that's going to end in extinction. And if you're that devoted to Amazon honor, like you can just let the planes do all the work and we can keep fighting. Yeah. But he's calling her out. It's like if you so care about like the Amazon way of things, where it's like defeat your enemy at all costs, you know, uh, atonement through like violent sacrifices like all right just let the planes like kill ever all of us yeah he you i love he points out the phrase oh you want to force peace that's a very amazon mm-hmm. thing to say yes and okay so just as a, a quick um oh by the way another easter egg is that was the blackhawks that were flying yes. Those yeah. planes yes um, but then, and, then bruce kind of lost me when he started talking about a deadly bee weapon that the amazons had <laughs> bees my god um just as a uh i'm sure there are people listening who have read this even if you have not read it we're really not spoiling much but i'm getting ready to do kind of a hit in the high points thing so if you don't want any more spoilers i'd say turn back now can we, can we talk about one thing i might get on twitter and bitch at mark wade about and get blocked What's that? And I think it's actually his biggest misstep in this. But come on, Mark Wade. Like, Batman does not eat his steak well done. Like, what <laughs> oh, kind of plea saw, do you take that. him for? I noticed that. I'm like, what? Uh, I don't know. The <laughs> line is still funny. But, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, um, can I, go can for I it. also have one, another, a, a minor Easter egg, but it, you would be relevant if you have... Uh, studied any theology or even just sat through like Sunday school services. Yeah. But the the main human, I guess, character or adversary in um, for the United Nations 
is, his name is Wormwood, which if you they spell it differently, but if you know anything about Revelation, it's like that's the name of the star that mm-hmm. is prophesized to to fall to the earth and cause like massive catastrophic. Yeah, uh, and that's ge- he's also a main he's also a main character in C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. Mm-hmm. He's also the name of the Batman villain Thaddeus Wormwood that had the death traps. And so oh. he's the secretary general of the UN. So they have found a way to tie that name Wormwood in three different ways into his role. And this is a he's a minor character almost uh-huh. like but I even they they included some like uh, some characterization there, some very minor. It's only like on one panel. But when he authorizes the strike, uh, he then he goes back to his office and he, like sees the planes go off and he like basically crumples down at his desk and you see on his desk you see a a, a coffee cup and it says world's best dad. And he's like clearly this he's not like he's clearly distraught at what he's done. He's, he doesn't take yeah. what he's he is authorized lightly. He yeah. he yeah. sincerely believes like this is the only thing that he can do to effectively save humanity. Like, cause he right. feels like this is a war between superhumans that's just going to rage over and over across the globe and no one's going to survive it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we mentioned early, the, the story is going where the old guard of heroes has vanished and the new guard of metahumans is there. And they're, frankly, they're bored because they went and they killed off all the villains there was one of them whose name was Genocide, who spelled it it's G-N-O-S-Y-D-E. He blew up Arkham. He blew up Bell Rev Prison. He blew up Blackgate. And he's just and like, oh, they're all gone now. We don't have to worry about them anymore. It's They are talking about the fact that all of the villains proper, or most of them, are just straight up dead because they just killed them. And so now they're bored. They're bored and they have lost, from what I understand, and I I never have pushed anybody on this, but a person who has taken another life generally has some kind of – it has a a strong impact on them no matter what the the circumstances are. And one of the things that I get out of reading this is – with a lot of these metahumans that are running around, that the taking of life has numbed them to the value of any life at all. Well, don't and forget, so, too, on top of that, that um, Luther has infiltrated a lot of the hero ranks. I think they said up to a fourth of them are repurposed villains that are under about a new, 10%. Yeah, are under a new identity, so they're agitating the situation. Yeah. on the side too and so we have this whole thing where and we mentioned it earlier but it's this examination of the progression of the 90s anti-hero Punisher, Cable DC had gunfire for a little while, that was an actual oh guy, yeah right hey, that's a pretty impressive pull isn't it um, and what happens is that it's this trend of rejecting the heroism of the past and they say no this is the 90s and we're going to do it this way now it's like you don't understand where that goes because it devalues the protectors 
uh, and and it it has the similar ring of who watches the Watchmen, and like Magog straight up looks like Cable, like he is supposed to look like a Rob Liefeld creation. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Actually, while you're talking about like the whole '90s thing, you know what I thought? What, what was really ringing in my head with DC this whole time was Identity Crisis and Infinite Crisis, and how this is a very strong commentary on those and how both of those events did not take the lessons of this comic into into their minds and actually probably if they did read this they took the wrong ideas from it identity crisis was a train wreck um it was it was really really bad it's it is the singular event that i think ruined dc for all of time the now Infinite Crisis, I'd have to go back and reread it with a more discerning eye because I was reading it as it came out, and I actually enjoyed what I read. It's um, not as bad as Identity Crisis. It's more the, the problems that have stemmed out of Infinite Crisis. Okay. That, that's I, – I would say that – I would not lay that on the doorstep of that series. I'd lay that on the doorstep of the follow-up, New 52, but – well, and, here we and like I was thinking of New Fifty Two Superman. Like God, someone read this and thought that would be a great like modernization of Superman. Yeah, and what they don't get, Superman's been in exile. Wonder Woman tells him what's going on. He sees what's happening, and at the end of Part One, through the writing and the art style, and Mark Wade has primary writing credit on this, but Alex Ross did a lot of writing to go with it too. We, I want to make sure he's getting credit also. You can feel it's not, you don't just see it on the page, but you feel this palpable loss of hope with the sheer madness that's going on with this fight in Metropolis. And this cable car is crashing down into the water in the middle of this pointless battle right up until you have one page of one character being awesome. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute. No, this can work out. And that's we get the return of not Cal, that no, we get Superman, and it picks up from that. Like you know, things start picking up steam, and um, it's interesting. the The story is, like I said, you have these uh, crests and valleys of of hope that happen as you go through it, mm-hmm. and you you have the Justice League. Like running full bore into these, frankly, bonkers metahumans. There's a fight that happens at Ellis Island between AmeriCommando and the Minutemen and the red, white, and drew, red, white, and blue androids, where they just turn around and start shooting immigrants. And it's like, what the hell? And that you have the Justice League show up, and they're like, no, no, we're not doing this. Um, well, I think, I think they, I think they, they started doing that, but then the people that came to stop them just were indiscriminately like firing into the crowd too. They were firing at the Minutemen in the crowd and the Minutemen were just shooting the crowd. Yeah. So it, it's when the Justice League shows up and they're like, no, we're not doing this. And you end up with the overarching thing is you end up with the Justice League trying to detain all the malcontents 
and that creates your your powder keg that Luther's waiting for. Um, and not I'm not going to go blow by blow through this whole thing. Um, but then at the end we get at the end we see the return of Billy Bats and Captain Marvel. Yeah. And there's so much to unpack there, and I'm going to let you guys go first because I could I could rant on and or I could just go on and on about it. So it was well done here, but I am I am sick to death of the Billy Batson Shazam like being crazy thing that has happened over and over and over. It seems so, like every hack that does a Shazam story that doesn't understand him has to do the same thing with him. So when this came out initially, I that was one of the things that I actually really thought was compelling and interesting about this uh, this series is that they they took Captain Marvel, which basically hasn't he always kind of been like presented as as basically as powerful as Superman? Yep. Yeah. Maybe even maybe even stronger than Superman. Theor- and, theoretically, and super- theoretically, he would be stronger than Superman because he is magic based, which would yes put Superman at a disadvantage to him. Yes. Yes. So when that first came out, I thought it was interesting. Um, reading it again years later, you see like. Captain Marvel never was truly like a villain. He was he was manipulated as everyone else, and I thought playing into the, the finale, which you know we can talk. There's a couple things I want to talk about the the ending because I felt the last issue actually moved me more than I thought it was, and certainly mm-hmm. than I remember back in the day. But I like how uh, um I like how that wisdom of Solomon he pretty much chose to cut the baby in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I I agree. Like they kind of they've they've exploited the whole like superhumanly powerful godlike person going crazy like they've exploited that trope over and over and over again and they've done it with with Captain Marvel it's because, a lot it's because uh, modern writers suck and they don't know how to write like a hopeful fun character yeah they don't want to cuz what happened what i've heard over and over and over again is Superman's boring because he's too powerful and he's good at two shoes. What does that make Billy, Captain Marvel, Shazam, whatever we want to call him? Because he has an even purer heart. That is established in DC canon that he is has a purer soul than even Superman does. What does that make him? That makes him something that people are just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, what if I subvert it? And it's like, I don't want you to subvert it. The, the, writers are so and they've been this way for years but it's gotten horrible like the last few years it's like you don't need to subvert anything stop that you're excuse me you're not like reinventing things no especially especially with established ip um people do appreciate creativity but like it's part of the problem with the dcu now is it doesn't feel like dc anymore because didio fucked it all up but like when you when you go to see a Star Wars movie or a Star Trek movie or watch a Star Trek show, you you can have creativity in that field, but it needs to feel like the property it is. So when you try to subvert those things, people get pissed off because suddenly, well, that wasn't Star Wars, uh, Rian Johnson, you 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 dumbass, like you you fucked it up. Yeah, it says that on the tin, but that's not what. You- you, you you took all the ingredients and made something else. Yeah, it's like if you if I go to a restaurant and order a steak, 
and you give me a well-crafted piece of chicken, I'm going to be pissed off at you because I didn't order chicken. I ordered a steak. Right. That's that is that is the rant that I have had for years is that is and it's it's more succinct. I'm not going to the movies to see, quote, your reimagining of the character. Damn it. I'm going to the movies because I want to see the character I know on the big screen. I don't care what, quote unquote, your interpretation is. Nobody cares. Well, see, my problem. You, no one's going to go see it if you do that. My problem, like with with the, the Ian Johnson example, is is like, well, no, I didn't really want that character back. I didn't need to see Luke Skywalker again. But then you screwed him up on top of like, I really didn't need more Luke Skywalker in my life because I had that already. But thanks for yeah. screwing it up. When when the character when Mark Hamill tells you you're doing Luke Skywalker wrong, I don't care who you are. Mark's right. <laughs> and Rian Johnson looked at Mark Hamill and said, "No, you're wrong." And it's like, you know what? It, that that pretty much wrote it off for me. Um, it's like um, it's like when you get a hack on the Flash, the first thing a hack riding the Flash does is try to slow him down, or do an yeah. arc where he loses his speed. And it's like, no, like that's not that's not you have to if you're going to do that arc you have to earn it like i want the flash like i want the flash versus the rogues i want speed force i want wally i want max mercury like i want the flash family like there are tropes i want that you can have a lot of freedom within but you need to respect those things and also because like you know mark wade got it he actually made the flash faster when he had the book Incidentally, that's something that I will give credit to the WB Flash for, is they put in a lot of work to hit a lot of those touch tones you said. They just did them a little differently, and I actually didn't have a problem with that, because even when they finally did do the, like, is Flash losing his speed, they only did it one, you know, they didn't do it, like, every season, and it wasn't just a premise of, like, well, what would it be like if, if Flash wasn't Flash? It's like, well then I would not be watching this show because the show is called The Flash. And they didn't do it like episode three. They didn't do it as like their first story arc. Right, right. So um, Billy has – we get this showdown. All right, screw it. We're, we're full born to spoilers. The, the prison boils over. The revolt is happening. The Justice League and the Malcontents are full bore at war. The UN has sent the Blackhawks to nuke them and – here, man, my cat has strong feelings about it. And the the person that cracked the prison open was Captain Marvel. He's the one that cracked it open. And now he's the one that's stopping Superman from stopping everything. And there's this moment because the whole thing is – the whole story is told through the narrative device that the Spectre has lost touch with humanity and Wesley Dodds, the Sandman – passed away right before the story ends. So his friend, Norman McKay, the pastor, inherited Wesley Dodd's prophetic dreams. The specter keys to him to say, you're the one that has to tell me, you know, there is going to be a time when I need for you to make a decision. And you have to tell me when that is. And here we are, we're at the end the bomb is dropping, and Spectre turns to Norman McKay and says, it's time. There will be a genocide. You tell me who deserves the punishment. And Superman's having the exact same conversation with Billy. 
where he's like, I'm, I'm not a man. I've always been a super. You're, you know, I, I can't make that. But Billy's been both. And he says, you have to tell me what to do, Billy, because I could stop the bomb. But would that fix anything? But if I let it drop, it's going to kill all of us. You have to tell me what to do. Yeah, he basically says, like, you can stop me. Like, Because Superman flies off to stop the bomb. He's yes. like, you can choose to, to stop me uh, or not. And you, he's the, the really powerful, like, three-letter sentence, he says. It's like, decide the world. Yes. Because if the bomb were to drop and wipe out all the superhumans, obviously humanity would be saved. If if it were stopped, then everything that was happening could continue to rage across the globe. And that's like the, that's the basically the dilemma that Superman presents Billy with. It's like you've been both God and, and man. Like you're the one who is best qualified to make this choice. And you are correct that basically he splits the baby. Like he's Captain Marvel stops Superman in the sense that he prevents him from fully stopping the bomb, but he detonates the bomb high enough that it doesn't entirely, with the help of some people like Green Lantern, it doesn't entirely wipe out all of the superhumans. So many die, many die, including oh, I yeah. noted like in the, in the in the at least Ted Core died. You see, because you see his body. Yeah. But others survived, and, and enough where Batman says like it's, it's like enough that we this these issues could happen again. Yeah, which leads to Superman just in absolute rage. Like attacking the United Nations. Well, Superman yeah. doesn't realize people survived. Yeah. Yes, he doesn't realize survived. But but Spectre also had a very powerful point where he just points at Superman, who's about to like go flying off in a rage. He's like judgment. Yeah. And that's when you get the the um. Well, you have Norman McKay like basically call out the Spectre, and it's like, no, this is not done. Like, I need to basically stop this. Like, you like yeah. I'm not gonna just allow like people to to die like i need to confront this i need to stop this from happening he and pretty that's much when says is... like you're concerned about judging evil like what you're doing now is evil like we have to yes. you're going to let evil happen when it could be stopped i'm i'm flipping to it right now um, yeah there, he has an incredibly to me and this is where i was moving it's like an incredibly powerful remark where he's like like you've always like had an instinctive knowledge of of right and wrong, and like you have let your humanity uh, like guide your morals, and it was a gift. It was like a gift to your own humanity. And the moment that obviously when Lois died and all this stuff, when you've been and everything, when you became more of the Superman, then you became like the man. When like and that kind of calls back where it's like, oh, call me, call me Cal. And it's like no, you were you were always Clark. So yeah. the moment you started identifying as Cal and not Clark kent like you went off the rails it's like the moment you made the super more important than the man you complete that completely cost you your instinct like, yeah you can you can take back though if you want redemption you need to make this right like you need to choose it lies and that's when like go ahead it, it's a i'm looking right at the page you're doing a fantastic job if you want redemption clark it lies in the very next decision you make mm-hmm. make it as a man and make it right and it's just like God, that writing gives you chills. Well, With he's, everything you've just been through in the last ten pages. He's also telling him, though, like, you're not mad at them. You're mad at yourself. Yeah, because now Superman has survival guilt. Now he has the assumed guilt for ten years. Now he has the guilt of the death of everybody back there. And 
the guilt of the death of Captain Marvel, who just made this sacrifice. I'm convinced that Billy's move was to try and save as many of them as he could by detonating it as high as he did, but it's never it's never outright said. So it's open to interpretation about why Billy did it the way – or maybe it's in Billy's just stew of psychosis that Lex put him through that in the moment that's what he had. Is he said, I can't let it drop all the way here. I have to get rid of this thing and and detonates it way up high. I'm not real sure. It's, I more took it it's as kind of, I more took mm-hmm. it as is Billy like just being like, No, like this isn't your this isn't your place, Clark. Like I'm doing it. Yeah. Like this is it, like I feel like it, it was more him being like, No, this is not your choice to make, like I'm making it for you. There's there's lots of ways to read that in a good way. It's it's ambiguous because this is this is something I want to talk about real quick. This is this is where modern media loses me because th- this this exchange after he does that, like the whole where Billy does this, there's no dialogue. No. And and with modern media and especially modern comics, they think the audience is too stupid to deal with that. And so you don't get those quiet moments anymore. Like it would be dialogue to hell and back. Yeah, uh, and and usually it would be, uh, what's the trope of it? Like the, it's when the author is basically standing in. It's, it's like the they would think that oh, sock like, puppeting. Uh, maybe maybe author soapbox something like that. Yeah, is like yeah. the trope I think. It's like oh, like they're too. Not only are they too stupid, so I need to I need to add like pages of dialogue here. It's like clearly my personal political and sociological perspective and things like that's what really people should be and it's like no like you should let people like make their own conclusions like the whole billy to, to bring it back to billy batson it's like to me i like to think that it's it's unclear it's it open to effort like interpretation it's like he mm-hmm. detonating the bomb high above like he certainly would have been thinking like this will probably hopefully save some people below but yeah. he may have also been thinking like you know, I'm not going to save everyone here. So he may have realized, like, there will this will kind of cull some of the superhumans. Maybe that I didn't want that. Like, I, I want to try to save people, but he probably knew it's like that's that's a consequence of things. Like he's splitting the baby, like you said. Yeah. I also feel like, like I, I also feel like part of it is like I'm not gonna put this on Superman's conscience because that's not Superman. Like I'm I'm going not, to hell for him. It's not Superman's burden to bear, but Superman kind yeah. of takes it on. It, the the trope you were looking for, Matt, is an author tract, uh, wherein yes, they it. they insert that in there. And you mean uh, you mean like a chick track where it's like don't yeah. eat your meat, yeah, play D and D, yeah. And the um, the other thing that you were saying about having to split the baby on this is, I think it's also Billy realizing things have come this far there will be consequences we can't actually turn it back and so he detonates it as high up to save as many as he can but he knows they're going to lose people because this has gotten so far out of hand that they can't not but but to go with like to go with the the um to go with like the splitting the baby part too but Superman presented him with almost like a childish, childish black and white choice, 
And because he has the wisdom of Solon, he's like, well, no, this is not a black and white choice. Like, there's only yeah. shades of gray to this, and I have to, <laughs> I have to do what he has to make a choice within there. But the decision he made was very gray, to a decision, to a black and white decision that Superman presented him with. Yeah, yeah. And you also there's a page like what the panel. It's like you also see him like close his eyes and like tears streaming down his face because like he knows with the wisdom of Solomon, he knows like there is no good choice here. Like there yeah. will be significant death yeah uh and and maybe he doesn't understand like everything that's going to happen like with the future but he knows like there will be like awful consequences there is no good choice here yeah and yet if, he is tasked with having to make a choice that is page 183 right i'm looking at it right now because billy is superman lets him go because billy is crying right before clark says decide the world and it's is his yeah i think you're right it's it's his awareness of what this is going to be and looking at it there's there's so much detail in this that i have to look very closely at it captain marvel is not crying when he he flies up to grab the bomb but billy was before he went because like you said he knew what it meant um and the other thing right after this clark at the un and that sort of stuff that i like is we have this moment where Clark and Bruce and Diana, and I'm using their names very intentionally right now, have decided to not – they say we're not going to live above you. We're going to live with you, but they go from being the gods that are beyond everyone to reestablishing the DC hero paragon ideal of these are the people – to look up to these are not the people way up there to be worshipped like these are these are the people we should aspire to be like not the people who are so alien that we can't comprehend them um and then you know the rebuilding and the metahuman rehab and there's uh it, they they made a novelization of it and as it turns out with the the metahuman rehab thing on themiscara Magog is actually the dean of students there because he sees how important it is to do this properly, uh, which is just another little, little detail. I just I just love that we have this character who went from so full bore anti-hero to like swinging the other way, having this redemption arc and, uh, you know, now saying, no, we, we've got to do this right. And I was wrong. You know, he's he's walked that road and can say with confidence that he made the wrong choices. OK, sorry, I, I kind of author tracked there for a minute. Oh, no, I, I had to I wandered <laughs> off. I had. To, yeah, I, I, we're, we're dog sitting and the dog was misbehaving. So I was uh, I was elsewhere. Um. I want to just add more, one more thing about how like the it's powerful. The ending is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's that once everything is the dust kind of settles, like you you do see Norman McKay back in his uh, his congregation, and, and you know he's not preaching like a, a thing of hellfire and brimstone anymore. Like he's basically giving a message of hope. It's like, and I like that they didn't whitewash everything that happened. It's like like there's no grand celebration of what happened. Like there's too much pain to be forgotten. But mm-hmm. everyone had to, everyone had to rebuild, and it's like uh, 
you have to part of the, the sermon he's giving is like like so much else like everything is open to interpretation and that and hope is brightest when it comes dawn when it dawns from fear yeah so he's he's doing like a very hopeful message which is well received by people and it kind of it kind of does feed into like the little like epilogue here where it's mm-hmm. like you see a lot of hope like we, we've talked briefly about how the big three uh superman wonder woman and batman are kind of reconvening and everything and that's when we find out the news that superman and wonder woman are expecting and they they invite bruce to be the godfather yep and he bruces even like jokes where it's like i don't have the best like uh you're handing me influence over the most powerful child in the world like i don't have a great like track record <laughs> of, yeah. of raising children and it's like well no like we we want like a, a human a moral individual such as yourself to actually provide guidance to our child and they walk out just as they have been as friends. Yep. There's um there's a there's a section in the epilogue where they kind of toast each other, mm. and uh, I'm looking for that uh, I'm looking for that frame right there. But actually, as a gift, I was given the Captain Mar- the Shazam glass that's in that frame. I have um, as part of that. That's Superman's glass in this. And I mean, they they're still doing symbolism at this point because mm-hmm. what do you drink? Wonder Woman's having water because that that's a very Themysciran thing. Superman has milk; it's wholesome, it's hearty. And then Batman coffee and keep it coming. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like I said earlier at the beginning. You can tell through the art and through the writing there is a feeling of just fear that emanates off the page but in that epilogue exactly like you said there is so much hope for tomorrow when they walk out together that Looking through it again there's there's like so much there's so many easter eggs here yeah there's actually there is, from um the the toast scene that shad brought up it reminds me of my favorite it's a good comic that's a rarity now but when they were doing Super Sons with Jonathan Kent and Damien, like Damien and Batman came to the farm once and Lois offered them pie and they're all mm-hmm. sitting around there and Superman and the boys are eating and Batman's just sitting there sulking in front of his piece of pie. And Jonathan's like, why isn't he eating the pie? And Damien's like, Batman doesn't eat pie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great callback. <laughs> Yes, it I look is. through this again. I've read this like I've read this book like a few times, but looking through it again, mm-hmm. like there's two like two Easter eggs I'm just now seeing. Yeah, uh, it's in that in that two pages uh, with the toast. One is the menu. You yeah. see, try our Mixius Pit like mozzarella sticks. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and, and he he's drawn as like the. Uh, it, maybe in the comic books he, he was uh, he view, was viewed this way in a certain way, but like, like definitely like back in the 80s like the superpowers tv show like he has that yeah. appearance yeah uh, and there's one there's like a photo on the wall and it's like from the batman and 1960s series of king tut it's like this, right. this picture of the same actor like that's that's extraordinarily clever i look i looked over that picture over and over in the upper right panel of that one there are four four uh four depictions of kryptonite in the mm. upper left panel you know uh, in the upper right panel, I think that's supposed to be Vigilante's gear. Well, the greeter, uh, the greeter is sporting the mullet, the mullet look from the that was around that time too. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. 
And here's the thing. This is – this book is – if someone says to me, you know, because I've had people say this, comics can't be literature, this is what I hold up. And I say, can it not? Because – and the reason that I go for this as opposed to referencing Watchmen or whatever um, is because – it is a it is with the pre-established characters because if I were to hand them Watchmen and say okay try this I'd be like well they made up these characters to do this with and that's that's a very surface level facetious argument but okay here Superman Batman Wonder Woman in this book read this now tell me it's not uh, now tell me it can't be and it, it's a for me, it's validating in that sense, in that I, I can say yes, that I believe that honestly, this is that good. So, anyway, uh, is there anything else we want to we want to talk about for this? Um, you know, when you're talking about the comics aren't literature, I bring up Sandman a lot for that. I'm not familiar with Sandman, so I I, I don't reference it. Oh, that's really good. You should you should actually check it out. The Neil, I I presume you're talking about the Neil Gaiman comic. Yeah, the Neil, yeah. Yeah, that have have either of you watched like the Netflix? No, uh, I need series? to I need to devote the time to it. I that I'll probably watch it, but that that's like pretty far down on my list. Um, I've heard from what I've heard from people, it's a very visually appealing show like the production values are pretty good but a lot of people are saying that like this overall it's not that exciting of a no, show it, but they they're doing the they're doing like the first 12 issues which aren't mm. which aren't the that the isn't where because i would say the book really doesn't pick up until he like is given hell by lucifer mm-hmm. that's where i think the book really finds its pace so like season two with that but um, I've heard it's good-ish. So, like I, I've I've heard that as well. Like I haven't heard complaints. Like it's not like um, Rings of Power where I haven't heard a good thing about it yet. I have a uh, friend who likes Rings of Power, but did he have a head injury yeah. like a couple weeks ago? She is a very smart, capable lady, but I I believe she's also very much a. Uh, a Tolkien fan, so she's she's happy to to go along with things tied to it. I'm, so. I'm really shocked because Tolkien fans really hate Rings of Power. I don't know, man. Look, Matt and I, Matt and I, because I think Matt is is Matt and I are a little deeper into it than the average person, and I think like, and I'm I'm not commenting on anyone's taste with it, but like if you know like even just like a little below the surface level or remember the books pretty well. Like the show has like really bad flaws like right away. Uh, my, f- I, I've not seen it yet. I've not seen it. I've only seen previews or trailers and I felt some of the trailers I saw made it look, I, I don't think it looked as bad visually. I thought it looked like, pretty I, bad it looked visually interesting. in some of the trailers. Well, here's the thing. Like I think it, it I think, most some of the like the actions and stuff looked interesting, but there is like a, a, 
I don't know what it is. Like it's like a character. Uh, I don't even say introduction. It's like basically showing you clips, like action moving shots of the the actors playing the lead roles, and it. Someone quipped that it's like this looks like a daytime soap opera introduction of the cast, and like it does. I'm like, oh my god, and it looks so chintzy and bad. I'm like, y'all spent like. What almost eighty million or seventy million an episode, and this Something is like, like the that. best you could do. Yeah. Well, the problem is too, like the new thing in Disney Star Wars is super, super guilty of this, is they don't take the time to choreograph fights anymore, so they just make them really hard to see, instead of choreographing. Mm. But it, it just a lot of jump. You might you think that like Kevin Dunn is directing it. It's just a lot of jump cuts. Yeah. But like, uh, but like the the fact they put hobbits in it, it just annoyed me because it's like, well, no, hobbits like are non-factors in the world. They should not be in this. And aren't they called something different? They're they're. I don't think they're hobbits. I think no, they're, they're something they're similar. What, they're what a golem was. I think. Because he's a hobbit, I, but I he's don't. a differently named hobbit. But then Galadriel's all wrong because Galadriel's kind of. So the, the the show kind of, from what I've seen, kind of misses the point of what Galadriel is, which is Galadriel is essentially a tyrant that just doesn't have the ability to be a tyrant, and she's pretty, um, she's pretty open and honest with herself about that. Like in her older age, like when he tries to give her the ring, she's like, "Oh no, you don't want to do that because like I'll just like kill everyone." She would become, in theory, like a quote unquote benevolent despot like she would become like a dictator yeah but it's just and it's it's telling a story i think it's essentially trying to tell a story that the third movie did in five minutes and everyone was happy with that's that's where a lot of like these these things are well and it's really screwed up because someone said that they it, where it's really screwed up is they split the rights to the properties like three different ways so they're trying to tell a story and they can't use all of the lore so like they can't use anything from the Silmarion because I think like Sony or someone has that. Mm. Because the estate got super greedy after Christopher died, so they were just the, trying to rake all that the money. Sil- the Silmarillion? Yeah. Okay. So they can't use anything from that, and that's where you would need a lot of the the backstory to that. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need to draw on a lot, uh, but they can't use it. And there's something else they uh, can't look, use. I just look. Go ahead. There's something else they can't use. Like there's like specific like races and like types of like dwarf and like hobbit they can't use, which they need for the story. Uh, I just looked it up. Uh, Harfoot is what I think yeah, they're calling the hobbits. Which if if you actually, I guess if you look up in the Tolkien lore, like it's they're more like. Uh, it's almost like an ethnic group of, of hobbits. Like if not, or even if you want to consider it, maybe like a, uh, I want to say like a, I, ethnic group is maybe the closest thing. But it's also like, maybe it's like a specific denomination, a group of people like culturally. It's like, if you were to take uh, Americans, like, well, we're, we have many cultures included, but you know, people would think like, Oh, Americans are different than, you know, Italians or different than Greeks, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's kind of like that, but it's weird. It's weird. What are they doing? Yeah. 
Well, I, generally speaking, like what I don't like about Hollywood, and I do this repeatedly, it's obviously Game of Thrones was wildly successful, and I know they they are currently doing a sequel or prequel series to it. Yeah, actually, I hate... I've heard is pretty decent because they they learned from season eight's disaster and got rid of those people and got people earlier in the show and they they and it's gasped they learned their mistake and it seems like house yeah. of the dragon's decent yeah it, it seems to have been well received largely by people and i think it's because like they they figured out what uh for lack of a better way to put it no pun intended like the magic of the initial game of thrones stuff they're trying to basically recreate that so it's kind of like if you liked game of thrones when it was still very good then they've tried to as best they can replicate that i think people have been accepting of that but generally speaking like game of thrones has been popular or was popular and i liked it i liked it for most of its run but i just hate how hollywood it's like oh game of thrones like it's popular Okay, we need 20 more series just like it. It's like, no, you don't. You don't. Like, look, I haven't seen all these. They might be good. But all of a sudden you blink an eye and it's like, oh, we have Witcher coming out. Oh, then we have Wheel of Time. Oh, then we have uh, Hobbit series. It's like, you you don't need all this. You don't. It's, like, please, please stop doing it just because it's an easy property that you, you can create content with. It's frustrating because... Wheel of Time was okay up to the end of the season. And part of the issue was they were doing they were they were plugging along and then like massive like Europe because uh, they were filming in like the Czech Republic. It's like COVID COVID restrictions tightened back up and they were like we don't have half our crew. But it's there's still some stuff I am like, look, I understand that there's some choices you made. They because for every other instance of the Trollocs, they used practical effects. It was actors in suits for the most part. And then they were like, well, we can't actually get them back. So they slapped some some bad CGI in there. And it's like, well, look, that sucks, but I, I can't be too mad at you on that. You know, you're behind the eight ball there. But then there are some writing choices where I'm like, come on. Come on, seriously, that's what you're going to do? They really... Shit. I feel like they... they... I feel like they um, they towed that line until the end very well, and then they like just went off a cliff with how they yeah, ended it, it. So we'll see how that turns out. But uh, final thought: I give Kingdom Come a massive, massive thumbs up. Um, highly recommend I, out of me. But also give it a massive thumbs up, and for people who it's kind of like it's become relatively like historically significant in some ways for wrong reasons but it's it generally is like a classic i would say it's a classic story yeah it's and it's worth people's times massive thumbs up it's a must it's a must read if you are into comics Mm -hmm. so all right like it would be to me it's like like i said it's in that next tier but it's in the pantheon of like must read books yeah yeah i think so all right well, guys, um, that's been our, our, our Kingdom Come uh, discussion. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You know, thoughts on anything about the book. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And 
hit us up on all of our social medias. Uh, we're talking about you know some serious stuff we're going to get into soon. We've got some other um, short-term projects we're going to get into here soon. But if you do throw us a request, then we'll try and get that taken care of ASAP also. So, with all of that being said, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. And we will see you next time.